All right, Jacob, what is our official movie? Our, our real movie of the week, quote unquote. Our, our real movie, the real cinema of the week is, uh, oh, wow. Fritz Lang's M. Where do, where do you even begin with this film? Because it's, it's uh, Chandler and I have discussed this a bit beforehand um, and how there's not going to be, you know, we have the split take podcast, but there's no split take on, on this, I think. No. It's pretty yeah. great. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. So it's a great. Uh, Fr- Fritz Lang is was a German silent film, silent film German director. He he made films like uh, Metropolis, which is one of the the like original sci-fi epics. Uh, other films like Destiny and Doctor Mabuse the Gambler. He was a very prolific director in Germany. The Big and, Heat, I think. Well, yes, and he eventually moved to America. Uh, during or, or before Thanks, Hitler. World War II. Uh, yes, you can thank the Nazis for giving us Fritz Lang um, or uh, Goebbels. There's uh, some very interesting stories about uh, Fritz Lang and the Nazis. Um, I feel like that could be a movie. Fritz, Fritz <laughs> and the Nazis. Uh, great, interesting guy. Very. Um, it's like one of the, like, the great early directors, although I feel like it doesn't get a lot of attention, uh, mostly because a lot of his American stuff is not nearly as good as his German uh, films, because he's very mm. much leaning into the um, German expressionism and uh, his his silent films and going into M. Are they all so visually expressive in a way that that sticks with you more so than I think almost any uh, silent film? directors do and i'm a uh, hot take here i think fritz lang is the best silent film director like period like you can like other directors more like obviously there's buster keaton and charlie chaplin but in terms of like what we know as cinema like s- with with lighting and visual uh, with and visual storytelling and and creating um a world and being like an auteur like i don't i don't really know of anyone who has been as successful as him and you in, but also you have also not seen sunrise i have not yes well i'm 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 judging this based off of multiple films and yeah as far as i'm aware f fw murnau is that sunrise? Yeah. yeah that's like his big one did he do other ones uh nosferatu oh faust no no <laughs> no, no nothing Metropolis alone is just a masterclass. And I think I, I ironically, I almost want to like rope in M into this conversation about best silent film directors, because so much of it is played silently. And you can see, yeah. I think one of the really great things about M is, is seeing Fritz's uh, transition from silent to talkies. And this was his first film. It was after kind of a break sound pictures came into existence and and fritz kind of like like yeah i don't want to do that and then eventually he found the story for m and and made m okay so i'm curious about the story for m do you know where it comes from because i know this this person i'm a very big uh true crime guy and i know this guy is based on the vampire of dusseldorf whatever his name is who was a prolific serial killer in the weimar era in germany um i don't know if this specific story was adapted from a story based on that guy or based directly on that guy? 
I know the it, it is based off of a real life criminal. Uh, it's not like based off any kind of story or anything like that. Just like based yeah. off of the the exploits of a real life criminal. Uh, despite the fact that Fritz Lang uh, denied that fact uh, for for most of his existence, uh, but I think it was it's it's widely regarded as just like a ton tongue in cheek denial of of uh, influences on his part yeah. rather than an actual yeah. statement of fact. So M is uh, it's such an interesting film, both on like a, a visual uh, level, but also a historical level. And obviously we talked about this is like a, a transitional film from from silent to sound. So there's there's you know, you can talk a lot about that, uh, but also to give some context, this was obviously made in 1931 and the rise of in Germany yeah. in Germany. Uh, this was right. Not. Hitler hadn't quite come to power just yet, but it was, you know the Nazi Party had just um, started winning in the uh, in the national elections a lot more. It was rising in in popularity, so you know all of that, and then you have the the Great Depression and all of the 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 uh, fallout in Germany after World War One. It was a society trying to rebuild itself in the worst of times, uh, and a lot of that kind of dark dark pessimism uh infiltrate infiltrates into m and obviously there's been given its proximity to the the rise of the nazis and world war ii there have been quite a few uh, analyses over the years of how it um predicts or is kind of like prescient is uh about the the moral failings perhaps more of of germany that led to the nazis and mm. there are some some other interesting like lenses you can look at it. And um, the other interesting thing for me, uh, lens while like watching it is thinking about how all of the people in the film, from from Fritz Lang to the actors uh, to the people who were making it, uh, were either one Nazis, two fled Germany, or three were killed. And it's big it's three. almost like. The big three. It's it's <laughs> there's this like this this sense of foreboding that the like the film's narrative has, but then there's also like a foreboding just to like the the knowledge of of a German film from this era. And I'll mention it later, but there is I was able to find one one of the the key characters in the film. It was uh uh, Jewish and obviously died in the concentration camp. So that was interesting. And then one of them became oh. a Nazi. Very, uh, if you watch the film, I won't tell you, uh, but just ask yourself, which one of these people most looks like a Nazi? That's the one <laughs> that uh -huh. ultimately becomes one, uh, an actual one. This, is, this uh, is interesting that, you know, when so often these days you're like, oh, you're a Nazi and you mean it facetiously, like it's you're not actually a Nazi, yeah. but these are actual, not actual Nazis. Um, and then obviously Fritz Lang, who uh, very interesting. Uh, last little bit of tip, uh, last little tidbit. Uh, he was reportedly offered the job of being the head of the the Nazi film industry by uh, Joseph Goebbels. Goebbels. Yeah, that's on the. Did you watch the uh, conversation with Fritz Lang? That's on the Criterion. I did not. No, I he talks about it. Mm. Uh, and yeah, he talks about it been, with uh, William Friedkin. There have been lo lots of speculation and fact checking on that and it is widely considered 
that Fritz Lang embellished his stories about fleeing the Nazis. Um, and the, the way he tells it is, you know, Goebbels invited him, offered him, and Fritz Lang was like, no, and left the country. And that was it. Like, it was like a hard break. When in fact, Fritz Lang was actually traveling back and forth for some time and mm. didn't actually like leave Germany until uh, a little later when uh, the Nazis were actually in power. Mm. But it, it is interesting that, that it, it, Fritz Lang had the opportunity to become the most important person in the German film industry and to work with the Nazis and regardless of how he he falsifies and embellishes on his stories about fleeing the nazis he ultimately did um, and i find that just very interesting just the way he talks about himself and then the actuals like what actually happened oh we'll definitely watch that conversation then because he goes very in depth about his meeting with Goebbels and his oh, attempts to flee oh yeah he, he's a really interesting guy he's in um jean-luc godard's contempt like as an oh. actor he's in that yeah. playing a director so m is a uh, serial killer film it is uh, there's a child murderer and everyone is trying to find the child murderer chandler what did you think of m after that long oh this is the um this is the second time i've seen it i bought it like two or three years ago on sale watched it immediately thought this is great at the time i was a little turned off by things that weren't aren't necessarily the film's fault that being the sound, uh, there's long beats of this movie, long breaks without sound, no room tone. But over time, I've realized that's just a transitionary thing. Whatever. Don't care. Well, actually, that, it's interesting about that. I'm just going to I love Fritz Lang. Uh, obviously, you can you can tell. Uh, Lang being like one of the early like he was just exploring sound as everyone was uh, mm -hmm. during that time, uh, believed that. Uh, didn't believe in room tone it wasn't like a sound was new and they didn't understand room tone they understood it to a certain degree he didn't believe in room tone because he thought when you're having a conversation with someone you don't notice the room tone you don't notice the air conditioning and stuff like that you're you're more in like the subjective experience and there's a lot yeah. of use of the subjective uh sound experience uh, well in, in his he films. was wrong but i'm glad he uh, uh no you definitely notice when there's no sound. I don't think there's a single moment in this film where I was like, oh, that could really use some, some background noise. There's there's some where I was like, oh, if it was later, maybe I would care more. But since it's in this time period. I I'm saying mind. in general, he is wrong. Room tone, I feel there's a reason it's a standard. In general, yes. Yes. Um, but again, that doesn't bother me. It's like, whatever. It's something that just happened. Whatever. Don't care. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm a big fan. Of, like I said, big uh, true crime fan. I love serial killer movies. This is one of the best because I find its structure very interesting. There are the only character in this movie to me is this serial killer, is Peter Laurie. It's, Aside from the guy who gets kidnapped at the end by the law or whatever, yeah, he gets a little bit more. And even even to the 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 extent that Peter Laurie isn't really a like he's a character. I think there are characters in the film um, and some that stick out more than others. Some that have reoccurring the uh, the police detective is in multiple yeah. scenes. The the head of the, the crime organization is in multiple scenes. There are characters, um, but it is one of the 
probably one of the best examples I can think of of a movie that does not have a main character at all. Yeah, it's not it's not even like an ensemble, like the traditional like ensemble piece where like you're focusing on multiple characters like like Nashville. It's not even like that. It's just hopping from it's telling the story using any possible person or place that could be utilized. Doesn't matter if, you know, they're they're connected or the same person. It's not trying to conform it yeah. to just one person's it's, story. It's all story and plot. And every character is just there to service the story and plot. And it, usually that kind of thing sounds bad. Yeah, it's the quintessential we live in a society <laughs> film. Yes, because the murders have ripple effects and we see those ripple effects from the, the sort of the mothers who are paranoid about their kids, the kids who are jokingly singing songs about this murderer, the police chiefs who are you know, struggling to find them, and then the the mobsters who don't like the crackdowns that police are having to find this guy so they take it in their own hands and what really makes like a solid serial killer movie to me not even just a serial killer movie but a crime movie in general is the process um high and low is like one of the best examples of this what they just those long scenes of all those police officers in the conference room utilizing evidence to craft theories and investigating those theories the stuff that they do in this movie is great i love them coming to the conclusion that the uh, the tape the those notes were written on a wooden table and then them like going to different houses of the suspects that match their profile looking for wooden tables and stuff like that um and there's also again speaking like uh, on Rafifi there's like an extended quote unquote heist sequence in this movie where the mobsters are trying to get Peter Lorre out of the office building that I think is really interesting heist too <laughs> That like they're looking for a person and there's like little mini heists going on. There's almost like a there's a Rififi esque one where they're they're tunneling through the the ceiling, mm-hmm. one guy into the the bank area to look for him. It's 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 one of those movies where also to a certain extent Rififi where like we're here now and looking back it doesn't feel old or stale in any way. Like you can definitely see uh, the ripples. And how many like films were 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 influenced and, and have taken from this, and yet it still feels new and fresh. And like there's ideas in here that have not been replicated, at least successfully. Yeah, and that I can remember uh, anywhere else like that. Like looking this like this heist, looking for someone, and little mini heist, and it's it's very complicated, but so cool. It's. It's a genuinely entertaining movie. Like there are there are older movies that you feel you maybe need context to appreciate. You could show this to just about anyone and they'll have a good time. Like it's got a great pace. It it it's got a great style. It's got a great story. It just and it never one stops. of the things that I noticed this time around that like really helped with the the pacing was that the there's almost like a a chase element to it or a competition yeah. element to it where you have the the cops uh who are looking for the the criminal and then suddenly you have then the criminals who are also start looking for the criminal and they're technically on the same side like they're both going after the same goal but they're trying to do it first mm-hmm. and just like the back and forth of that like who is closer and each one like approaches the the task differently than the other 
And I felt that was like really like the like the driving momentum of the film that like helped it, like cutting back and forth between those two conflicting stories of like trying to get Peter Laurie as the as the goal. And I will say this too: it is a it is a based movie. It is. It was interesting. I um, while watching the commentary, I was surprised to hear that this was. Uh, uh, Fritz Lang was not in his leftist phase yet when he made this <laughs> film, which it was surprising to me because I, I think there's a lot of, um, it has a lot of interesting themes and repetition and visuals about like consumerism, and there's almost like this link between, uh, murder and. The, the consumerism of how like there's all these storefronts and often like Peter Laurie is reflected and is like buying things for the little girls that he's he's murdering and there's other stuff there's like an obsession with labor in the film it's always like focusing on what people are doing and some of the most interesting shots were was just watching the people working like the, the criminals they have like this meeting and there's just the scene where they're all talking and one of them's like taking out all these pocket watches that presumably stole. And we just watch him go through and take inventory. Another one's a card counter and he's playing with his cards and you just you're just watching them do their thing. And then you watch the beggars do their working. And then there's there's buildings and obviously, you know, depression era. So there's uh, underlying themes of uh, like poverty and, and people struggling to make it. And yeah. just the, the portrait of a society like that, you know, it all feeds back into that. But what, what really gets me, though, is the ending scene. Peter Lorre's kangaroo court, basically, with uh, all of the, the mobsters, for some reason, putting on a trial, even though they all know he's guilty. But that defense lawyer that they get, who sort of reluctantly takes on the role of being the defense lawyer, but who, after hearing Peter Lorre, like, explain himself, like the movie doesn't make it an effort to like theorize to say that these are this is not an evil person who is built in a vacuum like he is a reflection of what's going on in the world his issues are effects of society we truly live in a society (laughs) that sort of thing um and it's the kind of like empathy that you rarely see now for people like this and this is almost a hundred years ago this there's so much I, I love about it and i'm let me just make a quick note i've i've shifted my position slightly in my microphone because can you hear any of that i can hear all of it <laughs> the rain is that what it is i hear oh, like a yeah, bunch of shifting absolutely is it rain out. let me see i'm curious it's sunny out here well, okay. My camera will not pick it. Uh, well, actually, well, let's well. <laughs> maybe. Uh, anyway, so what was I going to say? Uh, ah, yes. So it it is still very relevant. You can watch the movie and find bits and pieces of of like modern day dialogue and discussion, and like the the obviously like the main theme of of the film about like the 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 mob mentality of society and like how society deals with like the trauma of a murderer and responds to that in ways that you know make them immoral even by like their own standards and and do things that are you know out of the uh 
the the normal set of of things mm-hmm. and like even wow that i heard lightning <laughs> uh, i hope you enjoy dear listeners i'm curious as how this sounds on, on the back end not to make it too political but i was thinking of things like obviously last episode we talked about the uh the war in afghanistan and uh for some reason like it just i thought of uh 9-11 and like that collective trauma of like an act of of pure evil which is that and then an an m child murder which then inspires society to do something that it might know is is wrong or it shouldn't necessarily do and like the way that the united states was like whipped up into a frenzy and invading everywhere let's just invade everywhere in the middle east after that for no 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 real reason I mean, there were reasons, but, the, you know, it was um, a frenzy, sort of. And just just like the way it happens. In, Not very based, Bush. No, uh, but other stuff like the film does show a lot of like World War One vets and, who are homeless and who are kind of like rejected by society. And I feel like we still have not figured that out. We still kind of treat our, our the government sends people off to war still and treats them like shit afterwards. Hmm. still that's happening that's another like little connection i I found and then um uh the mob obviously taking the law into its own hands i won't mention any specific recent events of mobs trying to uh circumvent the law because they think they know better but (laughs) that i feel has very will always have implications and it feels modern in the way that like it there will always be stuff like this. Peter Laurie is great. Oh, yes. Last thing. Peter Laurie is, of course, great. This is his first film, really, like his big first yeah. film, breakout role. He's like a theater actor. Yeah. And obviously people will know Peter Laurie from a lot of like great American movies because he also fled the Nazis uh, and was in things like Casablanca and the Maltese Falcon, the Maltese Falcon, Looney great Tunes. actor. So, yeah, p- people know Peter Laurie. If you know cinema, you know Peter Lorre. Yeah. One of the interesting tidbits I learned from the commentary was that obviously there is uh, another ongoing debate that this film touches upon is the uh, the death penalty. And the it, it's interesting as I watch the movie, uh, I see, I don't think it's like clearly one way or the other, but I I read into the film a anti-death penalty lens. And it's interesting that when Joseph Goebbels watched the movie, great fan, Goebbels loved the movie, uh, he read into it a very pro-death penalty stance. What did so Goebbels give on Letterboxd? <laughs> Maybe we should just revive the, uh, you know, how you did the, the, the fake <laughs> uh, Letterboxd no. account. We should do Goebbels reviews. Goebbels, le- yeah, uh, gross. <laughs> No, I definitely saw it as uh, anti as well. I don't know when you when you when you have so much sympathy for just a, a terrible, terrible person. It's hard to feel that even their death is justified. It, it's to, it's perhaps a uh, a pro empathy film at the at the very least when you you get down to it. It is pro empathy. It is not pro murderer because I I I do I've read some reviews thinking that you know people people thought that they were too light on peter laurie but at the same time you do get those scene where the mothers are confronting peter laurie where you're like okay they're still not letting you forget 
the trauma and the pain behind these actions, but they're not necessarily willing to just, you know, write them off as uh, one bad egg. It shows a respect for the audience that the film doesn't need to like go out of its way to say, oh, child murder bad. Yeah, and it can have a nuanced discussion about the the implications of that and, and how society needs to deal with it in a in a rational manner and, and with with empathy for everyone involved. This has been a very interesting time to watch this because as I watched it, I was also I've also been reading and watching again. Oh yeah, they mentioned Berlin Alexander Plotz on the on the commentary. Also recommend because, the commentary by the way, very much. Yeah. It's because this this film uh takes place same time, same place. Weimar era Germany as it starts to succumb to Nazis. Um it's just an interesting double pairing. Just the whole this time and place in Germany has been on my mind and this is a nice film to jump into. Um but yeah, great so, movie. I'm going to I'll ask, of course, the, the usual question and, and let that lead into our, our final thoughts on the film. Chandler, do you think it deserves yeah. to be on the site and sound be a violinist? Yeah, I even say bump it up. Get it higher. Come on. I. I think this is like this is one of those movies where it's like it's it's the sweet spot of historical of of pushing the aesthetic medium of cinema. And it's also really fucking good. Like it's I, very, very so good. Uh, I love, I love M. I've always loved it, but this time, this time in particular, I just found myself so engrossed in, in my TV Same. here at home that I, I just haven't been in, in such in a while. I'm, I'm often just kind of bouncing back and forth between my phone, um, just out of habit, more so often. Even if like I'm into the movie, even if I'm watching a movie I like, it, it just is a habit. I need to pick up my phone. Because sometimes I'll be like, oh, there's I just had a thought. I want to re- look up like who is this actor or whatever. But like I never got that 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 impulse. I just was glued in. It was so interesting. And this is another movie. It was like if you are looking for to get into black and white or like foreign cinema, this is cannot cannot recommend it enough. Yeah, I, w- I don't remember how long ago you watched it but i watched it like two or three years ago i bumped it up from four and a half to five because i'm just like what 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 what's wrong (laughs) what's wrong with it nothing shut up (laughs) yeah i could talk about it so much but just in terms of like technical stuff i i always notice how much how interesting this the use of sound in the film is for being a, a one of the very first sound movies it is ahead of its time and it's still it is using sound better than 99% of movies use sound today and that's you know if that's sad or that's epic for just old, one scene in particular just last thing uh that's the beginning scene where um uh the the titular m murderer is singing that one song i don't know its name yeah and it's just a great little thing because the blind balloon keeper recognizes him by the whistle. And it's just it, not only is it using sound, but it's imploring the sound into using it as a filmmaking tool, not just using it to keep up with the times, but like finding a way to organically integrate it into the story. Just wonderful. Yeah. The, wonderful the blind uh, beggar with the balloon 
is uh, the the one cast member I could pin down as having died in the Holocaust. You're saying he didn't reprise his role 10 years later in The Third Man? No. (laughs) You know, you can also see like German expressionism still very much in this film. The use of shadows and, and visually the way the editing. There's not a single part of cinema that I don't think that this this movie doesn't just knock out of the park and in such inventive ways. And like the long shots, there are some shots in here that are just really, really well executed. There's so much more, but I'd just be just be gushing about like the individual details. Like, oh, did you notice this or did you notice that? <laughs> Love it. It's it's going on. I haven't put it on there yet, but it's going to go back on my favorite movies list. Wonderful. Very based. I'll probably put it somewhere. I need to make an updated version. I have enough five stars now that I could probably make 100 movies. So that's it. Thank you for watching. Uh, please yeah. uh, subscribe, like, comment, do all that kind of stuff. Let us know if you agree with us on M. Uh, and if you don't agree with us on M, keep it to yourself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to hear it. Take it somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>